Hi, how are you doing? Today I'm setting out to walk all the way to the next village. I'm going to walk there by the road, which is completely free of traffic at the moment, and back across the fields just for a change. It's sunny out and I've just put my sunglasses on for the first time this year. My name's Melissa Harrison and I'm a novelist and nature writer. I'm lucky enough to live in rural Suffolk and I can walk out of my cottage into woods and fields without passing another human being. So from now on, through spring and summer and into autumn, I'm going to help you keep in touch the changing seasons and the weather. Welcome to a new weekly podcast, The Stubborn Light of Things. August, the birds will be more or less silent. But at this time of year, each day opens with the dawn chorus. A bit later this month, I'm going to get up early and go out and record it for you. But for now, here's a piece I wrote about it last year. It was written for The Times. I've been writing a monthly nature notebook for them since 2014. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to announce that my columns uh, have been collected together and will be published by Faber in November this year, called The Stubborn Light of Things, A Nature Diary. The Times Nature Notebook, April 2019. These April mornings break slow with bright birdsong. First, robins tune up in dark village gardens, hesitant, apologetic. The sky's still pitch, with just the first suggestions of a glow behind the easternmost cottages, beyond fields sown to young wheat and bounded by the grey A road. Not much is moving on it yet. The odd taxi, some farm traffic, a few early risers. Rabbits nibble its dim verges, lit only occasionally by passing headlights. A crow picks at the smashed jigsaw of a pheasant, and a barn owl drifts to its roost over a roadside paddock, disappearing, unremarked, out of sight. In the village, the silvery robins have been joined by the flutier, jollier carolling of blackbirds and the scratchy scribbles of Dunnock's hedgetop songs. As we villagers doze on, or roll over in bed crossly, 
Gangs of sparrows set about the morning's gossip. Wrens shrill, and great tits begin turning all their squeaky wheels. From chimney pot and aerial, the complacent coos of collared doves drop like slow, cool water into the busy current of song. As the sky lightens, the still sleeping village comes chorusing to life. Greenfinches are calling now, and chaffinches and blue tits. The rooks are awake, cawing gutturally from nests in the early-leafed horse chestnut and the precious surviving elm behind my neighbour's house. So too the local cockles who yell indignantly to one another, one from a garden near the church, one further away across a field. And out in those fields the dawn chorus continues, the sad gappy hedges still host to Yellowhammer's insistent chirruping, the copses loud with the lovely repetitions of song thrushes, the uninflected dink, dink, dink of chiff-chaffs not long in from Africa, and the irresolute remarks of the blackcap, its tombra somewhere between the robin and the blackbirds. It's hard to believe that in a month there'll be more summer migrants and even greater volume, harder still to comprehend that the breathtaking dawn chorus we're still lucky enough to be able to hear each spring is a shadow of what it once was, even one generation ago. The old earth turns, rolling night's shadow back. The village cockerels are abashed into silence. The last fussing pheasant gathers its few wits and quietens, and a new day breaks. As the first smartphone alarm sounds its harsh little ditty, over the wheat a lark invisibly, endlessly sings. Banks of the lane are high and green and starred with stitchwort and drooping star of Bethlehem. Overhead, the trees are just coming into leaf. I've been thinking about beginnings and how precarious they are. Whether it's a new habit, learning a new skill, new way of life, beginnings are full of potential and of risk. To begin is so brave, to sit with the possibility of failure and try anyway. Kids are used to failure, they're used to trying something and not being able to do it first time, I think. But as adults, we get out of that habit. If we can't do something, it feels like we're never going to do it. When I first started to teach myself birdsong, I had very little. I could do a blackbird maybe, maybe a crow. And it took a long time. It took, it took a long time of trying to tell my brain that here was something I wanted to pay attention to and I needed some resources. I needed a little node in my brain. I needed neurons and connections and activity. I needed the granularity that would allow me to hear differently. And I didn't have it yet. I always think of that when I'm on a walk with somebody and they'll say, oh, I can't do birdsong. 
And I just think, well, I couldn't do birdsong 10 years ago. It's just that you haven't learned yet. I've got a friend with a daughter at school and teachers, if a child says I can't do something, the teachers add the word yet. You can't do it yet. So if you're at the beginning of something, whether that's exercise or baking or homeschooling, give yourself a break. Be kind to yourself as you learn. It's an act of courage, an act of faith. Each week on The Stubborn Light of Things, I'm going to bring you a guest. And because of the current travel restrictions, I've been asking people to record themselves and send them in to me. This week, we're hearing from the poet Liz Berry. Liz's collection, uh, Black Country, was published in 2014 uh, by Chateau, and it won the Ford Prize for Best First Collection, amongst other prizes. Um, Her pamphlet, The Republic of Motherhood, also Chateau, won the Ford Prize for Best Single Poem in 2018. I think that Liz is an extraordinary voice. I first heard her on Radio 4 some years ago and I was doing the washing up and I stood with my hands in the water, completely dumbstruck. For me, the best writers don't just offer an interesting story or a pleasing turn of phrase. What they offer is a way of seeing the world. And Liz does that for me. Her work is about grace. And it's about the sanctity of ordinary things. Liz will be reading a poem for us at the end of the episode, and it's a new work, which is an enormous honour. It's completely beautiful. For now, here she is, with her two gorgeous little boys talking about Frogspawn. And you can see Liz's pictures on the podcast website, which is www.melissaharrison.co.uk forward slash podcast. Okay, boys, do you want to tell us your names and how old you are? Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, Tom and I'm... Six years old. How about you, kid? I'm three. Three years old. And do you want to talk about what exciting thing has been happening in our pond? Uh, well, um, fog spawn. Fog spawn disappeared. Yeah. And fog are swimming. Have we got frogs yet? No. What have we got at the moment? Tadpoles. Tom, do you want to we tell us some tadpoles. what happened in the beginning? So first they were just like little dots. Um, and then the two days after they were like shaped like curly commas. And then they eat it out their way out. They did, didn't they? they ate well, them well, well, that was way later. They ate their way out. And then they, some of the tadpoles um, had escaped from from their jelly shell. The slightest amount of got, um, the slightest amount got mini, uh, minuscule shells. Minuscule. 
What have they got on the side of their face that we notice that looks like little oh, feathers? Um, can we come see some gills? More? Gills. What do they use their gills for? Mummy, can you see more curly ones? Yeah. And today the tadpoles are swimming and most had hatched out. The tadpoles seem to be falling then swimming up. Oh, so we have a look in the tank at the moment. What can you see happening in there? What can you see, Ted? Mm. Swimming. Swimming. Some of them are feasting on their jelly shells. Mm, they're a good feast, aren't they, guys? Mm. Yeah. And Daddy's put something in for them to eat. Can you see what Daddy's put in the top mm, for them to eat? No. Do you want to peep in? Look if I open the lid. What's Daddy put in for them Cucumber. to eat? Well, I'm standing still on the road looking down at a peacock butterfly that's basking on the tarmac in the sunshine, opening and closing its wings really slowly. It's lovely to start to see butterflies out and about at this time of year. There's four that we have here that um, hibernate through the winter as adults, so we usually see those first because they're kind of ready to go as soon as the weather warms up. Um, so the brimstone, which is the bright sulphur yellow one that you see flapping about quite big, um, the comma, which is sort of um, raggedy looking, the edges of its wings look like they've been ripped, um, the peacock, which is the one that looks like it's got eyes on its wings, and the small tortoiseshell. It's got tortoiseshell patterned wings with a sort of um, a row of blue dots around the edge. So you see those ones quite early. Um, we used to think that red admirals um, hibernated as well. Um, they're the ones that are black and red and they look, look like they've got um, shoulder epaulets. Um, but it's been revealed in recent years uh, that they get through the winter, but they don't hibernate. They, they're just really, really judicious about when, when they fly and when they don't. So they'll, they'll hang out and tuck themselves away on cold days and go out when it's warm. Um, and that was revealed through a citizen science project so when you get those invitations to go and do the big butterfly count or big garden bird watch or whatever do because um they're they're yielding some really amazing results but the butterflies i really want to see at this time of year are the ones that have just emerged from their pupas um and the earliest one i usually see from that category is the orange tip which is white with orange tips to its wings um, and you also see the large and the small whites. When I was a kid, we used to call them cabbage whites. I think we called them both cabbage whites. Um, and they have two broods. So they have a brood that emerges around about now, and then they have a second brood that emerges um, in a couple of months' time. And I've been thinking about um, butterflies and chrysalises and frog spawn and why they're just so fascinating to children they're things which are at the beginnings of their lives. They are small, relatively weak and relatively helpless creatures, when you think about a caterpillar or a tadpole, that are getting ready to turn into something else. And of course, that's what kids are trying to, to work out how to do as well.
Well, there was a reason that I planned to walk to the next village and back today, and that was that the church clock there has a chime, and I thought it might make a lovely sound as I pass through the village, but I've been hanging around and it hasn't chimed. I was here just before ten. It's now ten past. Absolute silence. Not quite sure what's going on there. On each episode of The Stubborn Light of Things, I'm going to bring you some diary extracts by the famous Parson naturalist Gilbert White. Gilbert's living was Selborne in Hampshire, a small parish where he walked the bounds daily and recorded pretty much 40 years' worth of nature diaries. He was a great noticer, great observer, great scientist as well, um, and a man of enormous humanity. And his diaries and his book, The Natural History and Antiquities of Selborne, are greatly loved and became the model for a lot of other nature diaries through to the country diary of an Edwardian lady, through to my own, and pretty much every other nature writer I know. And they give a wonderful sense of not a changeless world, because nature isn't changeless, but of a depth of human relationship with it, going back hundreds and hundreds of years. So here's Gilbert White's diary entries from today, April the 13th. April the 13th, 1771. The dry weather has lasted a month this day. Dry weather is always supposed to help the wheat in the clays, but the wheat in general is so poor this year that it is hardly seen on the ground. It will be worth remarking at harvest how the crop will turn out. April the 13th, 1774. Apricots begin to set. Planted seven rows of potatoes. Nightingale in my fields. April the 13th, 1775. The barley season goes on briskly. Hops are polling, curlews clamour. April the 13th, 1778. One beech is in full leaf in the lithe. April the 13th, 1786. Doors are building in the church. Nightingale sings at Frenchmere. April the 13th, 1788. Bees frequent the cucumber frames. Nightingales heard below the temple. April the 13th, 1792. A great thunderstorm at Woodstock and Islip. The Charwell much flooded and discoloured. Prodigious was the damage done on the kingdom on this day by storms of thunder, lightning, and vast torrents, and floods, and hail. The town of Bromsgrove in Worcestershire was quite deluged, and the shops and sitting rooms filled with water. A house was burnt at some place, and in others many people hurt, and some killed. April the 13th, 1793. Bat out.
Excuse me. That was yeah. really lovely. Thank you. Thank very you. Much. Are you practicing bell ringing? Well, we've we've got a combined total of over a hundred years of bell ringing between us, um, and so that's quite a lot of Sunday services we've run for, and we are really missing it. Oh, I bet. So we thought we'd come on and ring handbells. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. I'm actually. I, I just walked to try and listen to the church clock. I thought it told the hours, but it didn't. Didn't it? I was there for 15 minutes waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, it should have struck. I'll have to go up and have a look. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, it was lovely to hear you anyway. Because people often don't tell me. Right. You don't know because we don't always hear it from here. Ah. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure, and <laughs> thanks for playing. <laughs> well, that was fantastic, wasn't it? There I was, hurrying along after being seen off by a very arthritic-looking golden Labrador, feeling sad because the church bells hadn't rung. And then I heard magical sound, which I thought might be wind chimes. It turned out to be bell ringing practice. How fantastic. You might be able to tell I'm grinning all over my face. Well, I'm back at home now, and I've had a bit of lunch, and since then, two interesting things have happened. One is that I've seen my first orange tip butterfly on my Aubrecia. The second is that I've heard from the local bell ringers, and it turns out the clock in the church tower is missing a little tooth on one of its cogs. So it's waiting for a visit from the horologist to give it some TLC. Speaking of which, the theme for the next episode will be care, and my guest will be the wildlife gardener, Kate Bradbury. My guest on this episode was Liz Berry, and I promised you earlier that we'd hear one of her new poems. Liz has been collaborating on a project recently with the photographer Tom Hicks. His ongoing project is called Black Country Type, Tom cycles around the region, um, looking for hidden and overlooked places, particularly their typography, buildings, edgelands, canals and derelict spaces. Liz says, The photo which inspired my poem Blue Heaven is of a piece of graffiti which Tom found and photographed, a small phrase written in pencil on a blue and white wall. Be happy with what you've got. I love the ambiguity of the phrase, but wanted to use it to celebrate the small, messy, beautiful world of home and the extraordinary, ordinary love we experience, often without paying it any mind. Blue heaven Our poem which art in blue heaven Give us this morning Daffodils spilling spring song like yolk Moss boring on the guttering Snork for wet the beds. Jenny Wren and Weeping Birch watching over us. Our unanswered emails and half-built Lego palaces. Milk cups and toast crumbs. Photographs of us in the nineties, drunk and so in love we look like children. Give us grapes and small kindnesses. Once upon a time, in clumsy boy's hand on the back of a phone bill. Library books and germaline 
Sanitary towels soaked with clotted rubies, pyjamas shed beneath the bunk beds like adder skins. Money spiders, stories, the nights we touch in darkness with that wild honey milk of recognition. Tenderise our hearts to all that is holy. The dog in a blanket, the playgroup collage. And forgive us our trespasses. Pulling tight the shutters on our hearts when others are knocking. Cussing in the night when we stumble to the cot. Teach us to love each other as the tree loves the rain. Never wasting a drop.